Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. When wicked King Ahab went to take possession of the vineyard that he killed Naboth for, Elijah met him there with a word from the Lord. Ahab's royal dynasty would come to an end, and his wife and sons would die in tragic and dishonorable ways. Here in chapter 10, that doomsday prophecy will come to pass in all its horror and shame. A new king is commissioned with a purpose of executing God's judgment, and it's the end of Ahab's family line. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, The Reign of Jehu. All righty, good evening everybody, let's get started. 2 Kings chapter 10, 2 Kings 10, we're going to pick up where we left off. And while you're turning to find that chapter, we'll turn to the Lord in prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us by your Holy Spirit, who's here tonight, to open our hearts to your living word. And Lord, in these dark chapters here in the middle of 2 Kings, uh, we just pray for a greater gratitude for our salvation, for all your loving Uh, care for us, your patience, and and the fact that you would come down to save us, Lord. Uh, We're so thankful to belong to you in light of uh, all of the things that we're reading about. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I've said, um, there are some periods of the Old Testament and Old Testament history that are bright and hopeful, and other periods that are terribly dark and gloomy, and we're in one of those sections. And the sun has not been out to shine uh, for the last several chapters, and it's not coming out tonight. Uh, Here, (laughs) just so you know, all right? Here in 2 Kings chapter 10, we're in the middle of seeing a royal dynasty brought to a tragic end. Uh, Really, the words of prophecy a prophecy of doom, uh, finding fulfillment. Uh, Let me bring up this fabulous chart again uh, to give you some uh, context. Uh, It was during the time of Ahab, uh, right after Ahab and Jezebel um, conspired to murder godly Naboth, that God pronounced judgment on the house of Omri. All right? Omri is Ahab's father, and so that even though Ahab is kind of the star of the show because he was the worst sinner of them all, so it's usually the house of Ahab, but it's really the house of Omri. Now, now here, the divided kingdom, uh, Solomon's boy, Rehoboam, but because of Solomon's sins and Israel's idolatry, the nation rebelled, and the rebel flag has been flying for 209 years. It will fly over Israel. These these guys are the rebels. These guys stayed true. This is one dynasty of King David all the way down uh, to Zedekiah. Then the exile comes in at 586 BC. Uh, The Babylonians come in, 14 generations. Then you have Christ. But you have one line all the way down blood related to Jesus 
through his mother Mary, who is related, and Joseph was also, but it counts through Mary because he was born of a woman, right? And so tonight the chapter is bringing to an end that when I say the house of Omri, uh, the house of Jeroboam goes two generations, the house of Basha, two generations. Zimri reigned for seven days. Remember that dude, <laughs> right? And then Ahab's father uh, executed Zimri and took control, and now it's the house of Omri, and he got, well, four generations almost uh, there. And so tonight, this is what we're talking about. Uh, the, the, the Lord gave it a prophecy that said, this house is doomed. There will be not one survivor. And now God is going to make good on that tonight. So that's really uh, where we're at. I've been using the word uh, dynasty because really these guys are going to die in nasty ways. Uh, It is really, you think I'm joking around. Wait till you get to the chapter. All right, so thank you for the chart. Um, There are 70 plus heirs wannabes to the throne uh, from Ahab's side. And so uh, that line was going to go on forever if left unattended to by the judgment of God. And so uh, the driving force behind the house cleaning Ahab's house is Jehu. And Jehu is not related. He was a commander. Uh, Elisha came. uh, Elisha's attendants anointed him as king, said, you're the new king. You are going to be the terminator. Uh, You are going to be used by God to bring justice and judgment uh, and wipe out Ahab's family. And so uh, he has already... I do need that chart one more time. So Jehu came in, and Jehu has already put to death Joram and this Ahaziah over here who just happens to be tied in by marriage, all right? And then queen mother. The queen mother is Jezebel. She's been put to death. Ahaziah's been put to death. And the the former king, the fresh king right now, king of Israel, has been put to death by Jehu who was commissioned by God to put an end to this whole household. All right, so that's where we're at. Now, Jehu uh, is on a mission to get any heirs. So it's not just the king that had to die, but all the would-be heirs. And so that's where we pick up tonight. And so uh, the, the former king of Israel is deposed, like I said, and he's off the, the scene. But what about all of those heirs? Verse 1. Now, there were in Samaria 70 heirs. 70 sons of the house of Ahab. So house of Ahab, you're just saying family. The family of Ahab. So Jehu, now the new king, just freshly made so, wrote letters and sent them to Samaria, the capital, to the officials of Jezreel, to the elders and to the guardians of Ahab's children. It's really the heirs or the sons, they're grown men. He said, As soon as this letter reaches you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city, and weapons, choose the best and most worthy of your master's sons, and set him on his father's throne. Then fight for your master's house. But they were terrified and said, If two kings, 
that's our king of Israel and our king of Judah, who have just been killed by Jehu. If two kings couldn't resist this guy, how can we? So the palace administrator, the city governor, the elders, and the guardians sent this message to Jehu. We are your servants, and we will do anything you say. We will not appoint anyone as king. You do whatever you think best. Then Jehu wrote them a second letter, saying, Now, if you are on my side and will obey me, take the heads of your master's sons and come to me in Jezreel by this time tomorrow. Now the royal princes, 70 of them, were with the leading men of the city, who were rearing them or training them to become royalty. When the letter arrived, these men took the princes and slaughtered all 70 of them. They put their heads in baskets and sent them to Jehu in Jezreel. Uh, When the messengers arrived, he told Jehu, they have brought the heads of the princes. Then Jehu ordered, put them in two piles at the entrances of the city gate until morning. Well, let's pause there. (laughs) Now, number one, you know, I I put down crushing the competition, uh, but I did have their getting ahead of the competition, and I I changed it, just so you know, and I thought I'd let you know about it. But uh, that's just what the new kings did. They had to eliminate any potential claimant uh, for the throne. And so begins the reign of Jehu. He's going to reign 28 years. And all we're going to hear about it is just the beginning. And there's a reason for that. Now, uh, here's the quest to eliminate any rival uh, from the last dynasty, the dynasty of Ahab, uh, and to establish Jehu's own family line. Uh, this chapter is dedicated to the attempt and the successful attempt to eradicate from the earth any vestiges of Ahab whatsoever. This man is on a divine mission. He, he, he goes too far sometimes, but he is called and God is using him. Uh, it's a search and destroy mission for all things Ahab. And so uh, we're off. So Jehu's the new king in town, right? Uh, Jehu knows that. Of course, and a few of his friends and, and a good part of the army, because they have uh, come back from the front lines with him as the, the king. Uh, Elisha and the prophets know that he's king. Uh, anyone in Jezreel would know, because that's where uh, the former king, King uh, Joram, just was executed. And also the queen mother was helped out of the window there by this man. And so... Um, They all know. Anybody in Jezreel knows. But what about the capital city of Samaria? The government officials who were belonging to King Joram and and loyal to Queen Mother Jezebel. What about those? Well, they don't know yet. And so we don't know about them. And how about the heirs? Now, apparently in Samaria, I mean, there's like a factory that is producing all of Ahab's wannabe princes you know, because there's 70 of them being reared in royal protocols. And so, um, interestingly, I, I believe that when Elisha told Ahab that fateful night they met at Naboth's vineyard in the twilight there, and, Na- and, Naboth, uh, and, and Naboth had been murdered 
but the Lord was speaking through Elijah to a bad boy Ahab. And he said, not one of your descendants will sit on the throne. I, I, you will not continue. They will not survive. And so what, what did Ahab do? He went and got 70 concubines. And he raised up 70 sons. Because he said, oh yeah? Oh, none of my sons? Well, uh, how about 70 of them? How are you going to take out 70 of them? Kind of in your face to the prophecy, your, your dynasty will end. Your sons will not continue. So he goes out and tries to have 70 sons, and he has them. And now they're becoming men, and they're being trained to perpetuate the, that evil reign further on. Uh, in effect, he's saying, my kingdom's going to last forever. Uh, no, it won't. So the, the contest begins, and here we have in our text, the challenge comes from Jehu, right? Uh, he sends this powerful, intimidating letter to the former administration inside the gates of Samaria. And uh, he's feeling confident, I guess. I mean, he's got a big bravado. He, he's, he's, uh, I mean, he's on a roll. He just, he just killed the, the king and the king of Judah and the queen mother. And he's been anointed by Elisha's attendant. And so uh, he, he sends them a letter. Okay, guys, uh, pick one of those 70 that you've been grooming. You've got horses. You've got chariots. You know, I'm out here in the city. Come on out. When you put your guy on the throne and you guys come on out, we're waiting for you. And so they say to themselves, hey, we got desk jobs. This guy is a warrior. And, and two kings, of, he's already taken down two kings. I'm not even sure they know about the queen mother yet. Right? And so they say, uh, uh, we're not going to uh, go for this thing. So uh, this, the government officials send back uh, a letter of surrender saying, uh, dear, dear our beloved King Jehu, <laughs> right? Uh, you demand, we live to serve you. Uh, we will not appoint a king. Uh, as far as we're concerned, you are king. And uh, regarding this transition, well, uh, however you wish to proceed, we're good. We're not going to appoint any king. You're the king, all right? So Jehu writes a second letter back in verse 6, and he says, that's great to hear. But if it's true, I want you to execute all the Ahab heirs in your little Ahab factory, and, um, <laughs> and then I want you to send proof, all right? And they did. And the baskets were put on display at the gate. The city gate, don't just picture a gate. The city gate means uh, town hall. City Hall. It's where everything happened in ancient cities. And so right at the power and the, uh, the center and the, the, the commerce and the government of that city, the piles of the Ahab heirs are there, which really send the public message. There's a new king in Israel. Don't even think of messing with him, right? That's what I would get out of that message there. Now, I think you've got to remember in this preemptive strike, as brutal as it was and is, these were heads of, uh, heads of those who were set to carry on the false religion, and the demonic idolatry, the sorcery, the sexual immorality that plunged Israel into tremendous darkness and great judgment uh, from God. These are wicked men. So... 
before they're allowed to be established, and listen to the spiritual application here, before the rattlesnake reaches maturity, the, the younger snakes' uh, heads are taken off so that they don't reach maturity. They, don't, they aren't enthroned upon the throne where they can do the damage. And so I think uh, really preemptive strikes, spiritually speaking, in our own lives, with our own little Ahab factories that's constantly nominating a new heir to the throne to take over the rival throne of Christ in our life, that we ought to be, as Paul suggests and commands, really the Holy Spirit, put to death the things of the sinful nature before they mature, before they're established. Before they're on the throne calling the shots, and you're powerless, really. Right? So that's a nice spiritual application for something really, really horrendous. Um, Really, uh, one writer said, believe it or not, these baskets filled with heads for the righteous represented hope. You see, uh, Proverbs 28, verse 28 says, when the wicked rise to power, people go into hiding. But when the wicked perish, the righteous thrive. Again, in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 2, uh, when the wicked rule, the people groan. There's a lot of groaning under Omri's house and Ahab and Jezebel. And so God was bringing an end to those oppressive days and rulers. Verses 9 through 11. So the next morning, so the heads are parked there in the baskets at the city gate. The next morning, Jehu went out. He stood before all the people and said, You are innocent. It was I who conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? Know then that not a word the Lord has spoken against the house of Ahab will fail. The Lord has done what he promised through his servant Elijah. So Jehu killed everyone in Jezreel who remained of the house of Ahab as well as all his chief men, his close friends, and his priests, leaving him no survivor. So let's take a look at that. Um, If you're taking notes, number two, alleviating fears and also eliminating alliances. So what this is about here, alleviating fears, is how were the citizens reacting to 70 heads in baskets at the city gate? Their king has been assassinated, the queen mother thrown out of a window and run over uh, with a chariot. They're upset. There's chaos, there's fear. Uh, We're all going to be killed. Uh, And their feeling may be they're going to get retaliated against. And so... He, say, he comes out and he says, listen, number one, you people of Jezreel who are following me, you're not responsible for this bloodshed. So n- number one. Uh, number two, ultimately, Jehu says to them, they're upset. The whole, uh, uh, they should be. Their whole world's turned upside down. Uh, he, he says, ultimately, the Lord spoke prophecy, a prophecy of doom over this family. This, this Jewish mob 
family, all right? You just picture the mafia, a Jewish mafia family that just ruled and made life miserable for everybody, was an offense to God. Uh, it was just corrupt, more than your minds can imagine. And, and so uh, the annihilation of these wicked rulers is divine justice, is what he's saying. Now, a lot of commentators say when he killed all of Ahab's friends and counselors and everybody connected with him that he went and forgive me again for he went overkill a, a little bit a little bit uh, too much there uh, and and God will signal that in the minor prophets you'll hear a shout out back to those days where that kind of behavior was condemned he had an assignment to judge the household of Ahab and uh, he did go over the borders uh, at times verse 12 Jehu then set out and went toward Samaria at Beth Eked of the shepherds. He met some relatives of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and asked, Who are you? They said, We are relatives of Ahaziah, and we've come down to greet the families of the king and of the queen mother Jezebel. God love her. 14. They don't know, obviously. Take them alive, he ordered. So Jehu takes them alive and slaughtered them by the well of Beth Aked, 42 men. He left no survivor. So number three, wrong place and wrong time. Uh, for From a human point of view, you have the relatives of, uh, how about the chart? I don't think the family tree's up there. Okay, so the chart will do. So... Joe Ram's sister, Athaliah, married this Jehoram, right? And, and this is their son. She survives them all and wants to become queen. This is Athaliah. Athaliah is Jezebel's daughter. There was a mixing there of marriages. And so this side, they're coming from Judah, they have no idea. They're royalty from Judah, and they're just coming to visit the queen mother who they happen to have married into. So of all the times you want to go visit grandma, uh, you picked a really bad time to be coming down the freeway with a guy who's bent on destroying anybody with the last name of Ahab, right? And so, as it were, and so that's what's going on, why these people from Judah are coming up here now. So thank you for that chart. So, so here they come. So to a guy who's on a mission to destroy Ahab's family, they meet him on the road and they say, Hi, we're related to Ahab. That's exactly what happened here. We're just going to go over and greet our wonderful queen mother Jezebel. And uh, really, that's all Jehu needed to hear. Now, uh, verse 15. After he left there. So it's one bloody scene after another. After he left there, he came upon Jehonadab, son of Rechab, who was on his way to meet him. Jehu greeted him and said, Are you in accord with me as I am with you? I am, Jehonadab answered. That was a good answer. Uh, If so, uh, said Jehu, give me your hand. So he did. And Jehu helped him up into the chariot. Jehu said, 
Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. Then he had him ride along in his chariot. When Jehu came to Samaria, he killed all who were left there of Ahab's family. He destroyed them according to the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah. So number four, if I was taking notes, I would put proud of his zeal. That's not a good thing. All right, so here we have the first clue to uh, why this king, King Jehu, is considered a bad king when all we're hearing is he's obeying a commission from the Lord, right? So something's going to go wrong. We're going to see that later. But here's the first negative thing, you know, and it's it's about pride. And uh, this is what's going to take him down. He's good with instituting political religious reform, uh, but he stops short with his own heart, and that's going to tarnish his life. And so uh, one commentator named Knapp put it this way, uh, his ostentatious display of his reforming zeal revealed how little he had God's glory in mind in the midst of all his feverish activity and reform. In other words, he's saying, hey, to this new guy he meets, we're going to introduce him in a second. Uh, He's saying, hey, come look at me, how much I love the Lord. Come watch me, man. I'm zealous. I'm so spiritual. Hey, come on up here. I'm going to take you on a little tour, and you're going to get a chance to see me in action. My zealousness for the Lord our God. Uh, You know what it reminded me of? Where Gideon... Gideon's a Bible hero, except in the end, he doesn't finish well. And what the, where does he go wrong? The same kind of thing. He gets his gift mixed up with who he is and who God is, and he gets all proud. And so at the end of, of, of Gideon's life, yeah, he's charging toward the enemy. And what does he say there in Judges chapter 7? He says, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. So he says, hey, let's go get him a sword for the Lord and for me. (laughs) Oh, it's never quite the same after that. He just should have said a sword for the Lord and who cares about me? He must increase. I must decrease. John the Baptist. That's a great bumper sticker uh, or motto for our lives. Amen. Um. You know, yeah, it's like saying, the, for the glory of God, and, and a little of that for me, too. <laughs> uh, and it sounds like Jehu's problem. Hey, come on up here. Come see what the Lord can do through me, and how much I am so spiritual and all of that. So Jehu enlists this mystery guy. Uh, his name is Jehonadab, and uh, he's the father of a godly movement of uh, reformers. And he gets a shout-out. Uh, in Jeremiah 35, and that's all we know about him. He is the father of a, mon- a monastic, kind of very strict and godly and pious uh, group of, of patriots, uh, much like kind of John the Baptist. So he, he's like the father of that movement. And he's coming out because he's heard, hey, somebody, there's a new king and he's destroying Baal worship in Israel. So he wants to come out and meet this Jehu, and maybe lend a hand. I don't know that he knows what that involves, uh, killing everybody, uh, but he certainly has come out. They meet, they hit it off, and off they go. And so Jehu and his zealous friend here 
go to Samaria to set things in order to get rid of Baal worship. They're going to wipe it off the face of the earth. Uh, So here we go. Verse 18 through 28. Then Jehu brought all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal. Now he's got all the the Baal prophets, okay? So he's going to deceive them. Ahab served Baal a little, but me, Jehu, I'm going to serve him a lot. Now summon all the prophets of Baal, all his ministers and all his priests. See that no one is missing because I'm going to hold a great sacrifice for Baal. Now, anyone who fails to come will no longer live. (laughs) That was a small little detail there. But Jehu was acting deceptively in order to destroy the ministers of Baal. Jehu said, call an assembly in honor of Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then he sent word throughout Israel, and all the ministers of Baal came. Not one stayed away. Well, they were highly motivated. <laughs> you know, not, nobody's going to live if they stay away. They crowded into the temple of Baal until it was full from one end to the other. And Jehu said to the keeper of the wardrobe, Bring robes for all the ministers of Baal. So he brought out robes for them. And then Jehu and, a new friend, and the new friend went into the temple of Baal. Jehu said to the ministers of Baal, Look around and make sure that there are no servants of the Lord here with you, only ministers of Baal. Check. So they went in to make sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had posted 80 men outside with this warning. If one of you lets any of the men I am placing in your hands escape, it will be your life for his. As soon as Jehu had finished making the burnt offering, he ordered the guards and officers, go in and kill them, let no one escape. So they cut them down with the sword. The guards and officers threw the bodies out and then entered the inner shrine of the temple of Baal. They brought the sacred stone out of the temple of Baal and burned it. They demolished the sacred stone of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal. And people have used it for a latrine to this day. So Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. I'll take my glasses off. (laughs) Let's pause there. Number five, uh, Jehu goes ballistic on Baal. All right, and his followers. Now, Baal, you'll recall, is the demonic uh, religion, Baal worship, of the Canaanites. The Canaanites, God put up with them for 400 years, tried to get through to them, but failed, and so used Israel to displace them and give them Canaan, which was now called the Promised Land. As they were entering in, the Lord told them over and over again, do not worship what the Canaanites worship. And what the Canaanites worshiped was Baal. The the name means king of the gods. And there were many gods, but this was their king. All right. It was a terrible, terrible religion. Uh, Their priests were really sorcerers, uh, enchanters, uh, terrible. Uh, These are the guys who would cut themselves to worship. 
You know, you'll remember that in First Kings. I believe that's 19. Uh, and the priestesses were prostitutes, and they combined sexual immorality in cultic worship. This was Baal worship, uh, human sacrifice. Sexual immorality, prostitution, as I mentioned, and other really terrible things that I didn't even want to talk about. You can check that out in Jeremiah 19, Numbers 25, and a, and a lot of other places. So, so sad that the God's people, God's people, who God took out of Egypt and, and kind of carried them along on eagle's wings, as the Lord describes it, and destroyed that nation of Egypt and redeemed his people. And with loving kindness brought them into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And what happened? He said, do not worship these false, demonic, devilish gods that the other peoples do. And yet, uh, they did. They had a struggle in early judges with Baal worship. But for the most part, guess who brought it into them? The queen mother. The queen mother was a Sidonian princess before she married. The queen mother's Jezebel. She was a Sidonian, which is Lebanon, a Lebanese princess. She married Ahab. And she brought her priestesses and priests. And, and Ahab, the temple they're talking about here, Ahab built that for uh, Jezebel in First Kings 16. You'll see that. You see, and so she, they're the ones who brought this terrible religion uh, into Israel. And God's people bowed down and uh, were oppressed by it. And so, uh, no matter how fabulous that structure was there, that temple, it's all coming down. And the reformers, uh, Jehu and his friends, have another use for the altar and the temple. Now, Jehu, <laughs> Jehu, I gotta admit, I had no, I had no recollection of that verse. I, I read it last week, and I was like, "What? Wow! I don't remember that." Uh, uh, so, Jehu pretends to be a devoted follower of Baal. So he goes and he goes to the temple, and he says, "Hey, man, listen, the last king, you know, Ahab loved Baal, but I love him even more." And I want to I wanna proclaim a, a feast day, a holiday, a national holiday to, to King Baal. What do you say, guys? Oh, yeah, that's what we want to hear. Uh, uh, so invite everybody, everybody in Israel. We'll wait. But just make sure anybody who ministers for Baal, I want them here in the temple. And by the way, and if they don't come, we'll kill them. All right. So, you know, because that would be such a dishonor to our God, Baal. And so in verse 21, uh, the whole country is notified and they start to show up. Um, there's going to be lots of food. Oh, they're happy. They're showing up. They're happy. You know why? Because they're going to get drunk and they're going to get a chance to do their magic uh, enchantments and uh, the demonic craze thing that they do. There's going to be sexual immorality. This is their religion. And so they all show up. They're going to get a special robe. Oh, they're so, things are going so well. Uh, and um, then the 80 guys are outside, and they're charged with not letting anyone escape. Now, they're highly motivated, because uh, if they do let somebody escape, they're going to be killed. So you better believe that they're going to do a good job making sure those false prophets uh, do not escape. 
So, next thing they do is offer a sacrifice, and before you can say, bless Baal, it was all over. Bodies were disposed of. The temple came down. They burnt the wooden altars. Uh, They destroyed the stone, the sacred stone. And uh, Jehu converted the ruins into a place of public convenience. How's that for a nice way of saying it? Thank you. Uh, Here's a quote. Why, dear reader, from one commentator, why, dear reader, are you so appalled at this story? God is good and loving toward all he has made. He's made a way, a costly way, for men to come and know him, costly to himself. But those who love their sin and refuse his grace ultimately will fare no better than any of these in this chapter. Uh, Then there's a quote, Psalm 37. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those whose hope is in the Lord will inherit the land. And then uh, the writer to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, a little postscript on Jehu's life and we'll be done. So Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. However, he didn't turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nevat. He's the very first king of divided Israel, which he had caused Israel to commit, the worship of the golden calves at Bethel and Dan. The Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab all I had in mind to do, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Uh, That will be the longest dynasty in Israel divided. Verse 31. Yet Jehu was not careful to keep the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. In those days, the Lord began to reduce the size of Israel. Haziel overpowered the Israelites throughout their territory, the east of the Jordan and all the land of Gilead, the region of Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, three tribes there, uh, from Aroer and by the Arnon, Gorge, through Gilead to Bashan. As for the other events of Jehu's reign, all he did and all his achievements, are they not written in the book of the Annals? Of the kings of Israel, Jehu rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And Jehoaz, his son, succeeded him as king. The time that Jehu reigned over Israel and Samaria was 28 years. All right. Let's finish up with a few thoughts here. Uh, Last, number six, the almost hero. The almost hero. Now, let's look at that chart one more time. All disobedient, all 20 of them. Eight of the 20 obedient in Judah. That's why they hang on about 150 years extra, but they're destroyed as well. But at least they had eight good guys. This dude, he, he was the best of the worst. All right? He was the almost, the one guy you could say, hey, you know, as we all know, there was one hero. There was one good guy. He came so 
close. That's what, uh, you, he could have changed this so easily because he started out good. And then he just, he just didn't let his heart be established in faith. So, number one, he gets a commendation for exterminating uh, the worship of Baal, which is tantamount to devil worship. Good job. Uh, the mob family, Ahab, they were dealt with uh, as God had decided. And um, Jehu's family will have the longest run, four generations. You see that here. One, two, three, four. Just like the Lord said. That's amazing. That's a prophecy fulfilled right there. Uh, so, but Jehu proves a disappointment to God. Uh, the reforms of political turn out to be more selfish and political rather than for the love of God. And not only didn't he keep God's law in his heart, but he kept the calf worship going. And so Israel's still going to a temple and bowing before a golden calf, and he's promoting that. Uh, Because all that he really cared was about the praise of men, how people saw him. Uh, His inner life uh, was untouched by the Spirit of God. And so uh, a few comments about that kind of thing. by not taking heed to walk in the law of the Lord his God. Uh, this is what G. Campbell Morgan wrote. Jehu showed that he did not live a life of fellowship with God. He was a success in one regard, but a successful failure. How terrible a warning is the story of this man, that it's possible to be an instrument in the hand of God and yet never be in fellowship with him. Another quote by Spurgeon about this guy. Spurgeon wrote, Hating one sin, he loved another, and thus proved that the fear of the Most High did not reign in his heart. He was merely a hired servant and received the throne as his wages, but a child of God he never was. Well, according to Spurgeon, you never know. I hope we see him, but uh, we'll know when we get there. Uh, Interestingly, the 28-year reign that he gets, this is all you hear about him. Why? Because the Lord is like, anybody can start with a sizzle and a bang. A lot of people do. It's the end that counts so much in the Christian life. There was a woman who, I think I was wearing a Christian t-shirt. I don't know why she knew I was a Christian. Probably I was something I said at a, <laughs> at a coffee shop. And she said, you know, um, I was a Christian for half of my life. And I said, oh, you picked the wrong half. (laughs) You really did. You picked the wrong half. That is actually a bad choice. You should have picked the last half. It would have gone a lot better. Amen? Amen. So, what is happening? Israel's bowing down to a golden calf. Sheesh. Unbelievable. And, And here's the map of what they had. This is modern-day Jordan. Israel now has only... This is the Jordan River here. All right? The Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. This is all Jordan, not Israel. They had it, but your verse tells you... This is the verse that tells you how they lost it. The golden calves. And the more they worshipped the golden calves, the more the Lord brought the enemies in to squeeze them and squeeze them and squeeze them to get them to repent. But they never did. And so they lost all of this. 
And the commentators are so quick to apply that and say, do not take God's grace for granted. And, and, and to think that we can enjoy the privilege of, of, of what God gives us uh, without obedience and love to him. Those things, you won't be able to enjoy them even though they rightfully belong to you because you're not engaging him. You're not living for him. So they lost all of this, right? You know what's interesting too is, is that when they divided, the, the north goes in 722, never to be returned, ever. They're destroyed. Israel, rebellious Israel, after all those kings, they're gone. 722, the Assyrians come in and destroy. 586, Judah's gone, right? But there are prophecies. There are prophecies that say someday, Israel, Jews will be regathered into the state of Israel. For 1,948 years or so, because it was in 1948, May 14th, they came back. They're in here now. The first time since these verses, they're back. 1948. That's that's a prophecy. Even though they'd be gone for 2,000 years, destroyed. God says, one day I'm going to call and they're all going to come back and they're going to be a state of Israel right there. And there they are to this day. That is a super sign to the entire world. There is a God in heaven. Amen. They're restored. So what did I get from this awesome chapter tonight? Here, let me tell you. (laughs) Number one. Those who oppose God don't do very well in this life. Uh, don't oppo- oppose God. There's a, there's a little bit of opposition in everybody's heart to the things of God. And your job is to, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and put those things to death in a nice little basket, park it by the gate, and say, God, I'm good with you. Amen. Number two, I wrote down, it's possible to be used by God, but not walk in close, loving relationship with him. Lord, Lord, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? Uh, Excuse me, we never met. I don't know you. Matthew chapter 7. That may have been what was happening even here tonight with this man, Jehu. And also, when we live for ourselves and reject God's truth, we put the ones we love, our family and friends, in harm's way. Uh, let, me, let me see that chart one more time. This dude, do you not notice how many times he's brought up in almost every chapter? He, for he followed the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. That's the first dude. This is Solomon's boy. David, Solomon, Solomon's boy. Straight through. This guy was promised the kingdom, but he, he didn't obey. And he set up the, he's the dude who set up the golden calves. And he, all everybody's sins are going back to his account. He set his heirs up for failure. And when we do our own thing and build our own kingdom and, and go after sinful things, we, we set our kids up 
our friends up, our spouses up. We set them up for failure. They don't necessarily have to go all the way with that, but look what happened. One of the reasons we believe that the, the great white throat judgment, the great white throne judgment happens at the end of the millennial kingdom. It doesn't happen. The wicked are not judged when Christ comes back, but for a thousand years, they remain in Hades. All the wicked dead. It's at the end of the thousand years that all the wicked dead from wicked Cain onward are resurrected, judged, and cast into the lake of fire. Why at the end? To let their sins get credited back all the way to the end because every time in every generation people are stumbled because of some of these sinners and so God lets the entire world history go all the way to the end of human history even the next life to come at the end of the thousand years because sins are still being attributed to people so they cannot be judged because in the millennial kingdom there are effects of sin from even this life. And so we're going to take a look at that uh, later. But for now, suffice it to say, I end up always thanking God for my salvation, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, that he's given me a heart and you a heart that wants to change, that wants to love God. And I have the power by the Holy Spirit to put to death the things that, that, that would take me down the similar path path to destruction. We don't have to go there because we have a loving God in heaven who loves us and sent his Holy Spirit to live in our hearts, to guard us and to keep us and to help us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for just the awesome reality of good and evil in this world. Thank you for calling us out and calling us to a holy life. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to help us. And thank you for the lessons that we learn vicariously through reading the accounts of men who opposed you and rejected your grace and mercy. And help us to value walking with you and loving you and doing the work in our own hearts so that we'd never be found lacking. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together in closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.